join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hey, everybody. This is Little Oak Weekly, and you're listening to Andrew Bracewell. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. I hope you are doing well and staying warm wherever this episode finds you. Uh, we get to kick off the year with a guy that I just love and admire, a good friend of mine, Clark Berry. Clark has been licensed uh, with us at Little Oak, only place he's ever been licensed uh, for, I believe it's nine years. And Clark has got a, a great business just coming off an excellent 2021 where he sold, I believe, in excess of 50 homes. And he's just, uh, he's just a great guy uh, who runs a great business and his clients just absolutely love him. We get into some awesome conversations today, uh, specifically focused on uh, mindset around starting the new year. Uh, and then we talk a lot about um, the current state of the market, the low inventory strategies and tactics for dealing with both buyers and sellers, uh, setting expectations, talking through pricing strategy, and then the hot topic of you know, pricing a home properly versus underpricing it. Uh, we've heard a lot about that in the recent months. So uh, just all in all, great conversation with a great guy and just a fantastic way to start off the new year. So enjoy Clark Berry. Good morning. Good morning, sunshine. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? <laughs> Good. I, <laughs> I should, uh, I guess it would be more appropriate for me to say good morning snowflake not good morning yeah. sunshine right i don't know yeah i think so <laughs> not that i think you're a snowflake no Spark <laughs> sparkly and one of a kind yeah have you shoveled this morning i need you to i need to do a little talking i'm just adjusting your level tell me about your shoveling experience i didn't shovel this morning but going to shovel uh, after we're done here okay okay <laughs> shovel the shovel the ton yesterday did you get pounded out there or what uh, we got about a foot last night, close to. Yeah. How about you guys? Same thing. Yeah, we're you're in Aldergrove, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're we're over in East Abbey. We got the same thing. We got we got hammered. You know, kids are yeah. kids are pumped, and you know, yeah. whatever. It's Ellie and Crystal are outside right now. It's just sweet. Perfect. Gave me the house. Gave me the house. Yeah. So it's nice and quiet. So they don't interrupt us. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So um, I appreciate you doing this. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting into your brain. Sounds good. I like that. There's not much in there, but I'll see what I can give you. Are you? Is this a? Have you ever done something like this or no? You ever had a conversation or any kind of podcast? Nope. No. Oh, actually, no. That's a lie. I had a buddy who uh, who did uh, had a little podcast series going for a while, probably five or six years ago. Okay. And what was the topic there? Oh, geez, they they did a ton of topics. They were kind of all over the place. They just. It, well, it wasn't anything specific. It was uh, it was actually called Rambling with Ryan. So if that tells you anything, it's more <laughs> of just about any any random conversation. Was it like a it, nothing real estate related, or what was it? No, no. Okay, cool. Well, you're my you're you're my first of the year. You're you're popping my 2022. I feel special. Yeah, you you should feel special. <laughs> I've had a I've had a few weeks off, so you know I, I've maybe got some of my my best stuff for you. We'll see. Oh no, we'll see. But I, given that it is, uh, well, what are we? We're we're early January. You, this episode is going to launch uh, pretty much right away. So you know we got a bit of a New Year's theme, and I wanted to chat through some of the 
mindset stuff, uh, you know, as th that we encounter as we, you know, flip the calendar and start fresh and, and go back to, to zero sales and, uh, and, you know, get after it again. Right. What's right. your, what is your, what kind of mindset are you in at this time of year? You know, as the year starts, are you, are you, I don't know, what's your, what's your habit? Are you excited? Are you depressed? What does this year usually mean for you? Or what does a year, a new year usually mean for you? Oh, well, it's, it's kind of a bit of both of what you, of what you just said. I mean, I'm always excited to, to start a new year, you know, slate clean, no, no homes sold. Um, I've usually got, uh, got some clients that I've been working with kind of late in the following year that, uh, they're looking to, to make some moves. And so we've, we've got some things planned for, for the new year. So there's usually always, always a few things that are rolling over, even deals that are, put together in the following year, but are closing mm -hmm. coming up. So there's always something to work on there. But as far as, you know, generating new business, I'm always excited about it. Um, I remember when I first started in the industry, it was probably the most scary time because you didn't, didn't know what was going to come in, what the, you know, what the year was going to bring. Mm -hmm. um, but so that, that can be a scary thought, but now what, this is year eight for me. Um, you just kind of learn, learn the ebbs and flows, you know, that it's going to come. You just have to be consistent, keep putting in the work, um, all that kind of stuff. So I don't get too worried anymore, but more so excited. Hmm. And you like last year, I, I actually have no idea. I haven't looked at this, but I'm going to guess and say you probably sold what, 40, 40 homes or something or more. Or how many homes you sell yeah, last I year? Think th th this, this, uh, 2021 was just over 50. Wow. Good for you. And is that so, your no. biggest year of all time or how does that stat rank in terms yeah. of your other years? Well, since, since I started, um, I haven't had one year where I've went backwards. So every, every year has, uh, I've done more and more business. Wow. You should write a book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a short story. It's a, I'm glad I'm talking to you. You're the guy. <laughs> so do you, We've just spent like, you know, in the last whatever uh, month and a half of, of 21, um, you know, a lot of effort goes into goal setting and planning and, and stuff like that. Are you somebody who's tuned into that kind of stuff? Like, what do you, what do you do to go into the year? Do you just show up and you're amazing by default or what, or, or like, do you shit gold or what do you, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> well, you, you know the answer to that, but we're not going to say it on here. No, so I, I do believe I'm a I, I believe in goals. I believe in um, you know setting yourself up properly. That being said, do I think I'm very good at it? No. Uh, so this this time of year, I know it, you know lots of realtors are are writing down their goals, big goals, small goals, um, which which is good is and is encouraging. But for myself, you know, I, I'd say I'm setting goals throughout the year. I've got some goals in the in the back of my mind. I do write some down, um, but I'd say you know. As far as coming into the new year, not a strong suit of mine to to set goals and, and things like that. So something I want to work on, um, but naturally not very good at. And what's dictating? What are you doing with? I mean, I've known you as a guy who's been fairly focused on diet and nutrition in years gone by. Is that what? Is that play a role at all for you? Like a lot of people, you know, get to the new year and it's whatever, new year, new me, all this crap. Are you, yeah. is that something that you even go there at, uh, at this time of year or no? Not really. I, I have in the past, I've, I've been part of that group and yeah. uh, kudos to everyone who actually can do that. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm usually not, uh, not banging on the, the door of the gym, um, on, 
on January 1st kind of thing. Yeah. I, I tend to go in waves. I'll, uh, I'll focus on you know, nutrition exercise for a few months and then slack off for a few months and then back on the train again. So, mm-hmm. but as far as new year goes, it, it's not usually something that I'm, uh, that I'm usually setting up for, mm-hmm. but however, this year, got to tell you, this might be a shout out to Peloton, but I bought one a couple months ago and I've been on it nonstop. Okay. So when did you, did that, that come at Christmas or what? Santa no, delivered a Peloton or no? No, no. It, my birthday's at the end of November and I bought one at the beginning of November just to, uh, I don't know, birthday to myself. Okay. So tell me about that. Cause I don't, uh, let's just have, well, whatever, for the benefit of the, of the listeners, we can have a Peloton conversation. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a road bike guy. I've road biked, uh, on and off for a number of years. And so, but I haven't gotten into the Peloton. Like, tell, tell me, give me your early return or your early reviews on it. I like it. It's good. The, the reason I like it and the reason I, I, I have a hard time with, with going to the gym is how much time it takes, you know, getting ready, driving to the gym, doing a workout, you know, getting home, showering up, changing, you know, all, all of a sudden two, three hours is gone. What I like is if I've got a half an hour or an hour in the day or first thing in the morning when I wake up, go downstairs to a little area, hop on the bike. You can get a really, really good workout, bike 15, 20 K, whatever it is. Um, and you're done in half an hour. So, hmm. uh, that's, that's what I like. Then I can be ready to go in 15 minutes out the door. And are you finding like, I, my sense with Peloton, it, cause I got a, I got a couple buddies that, that got them too. And it, is there something to like the community or competition or riding with people? Like, I don't fully understand that. I know you're, lo- sure. you're looking at an instructor and other people can be doing this while you're doing it, but does that play into it all for you or no? For sure. And I didn't think it was going to, but I, I've also got some friends that, uh, that have them. There is quite the community surrounding it. And then you get buddies that are messaging you, or you can even send virtual high fives and things like that. So hmm. I, I like all the metrics behind it so that you can, you can push your personal bests and things like that. So yeah, no, I, I like that part of it. It's good. It keeps you, mo- keeps you motivated. And actually there's, there's times where you don't want to hop on, but you're, you know, buddies riding you pretty hard to, to do it. So it, uh, it's good motivation, keeps you accountable. So then after about six weeks, what are you noticing in your body? Like, is it, is it, are you starting to notice a health change? Oh, just jacked. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, does it grow your biceps riding bike? Is that oh, what happens? Man. Unbelievable. Just a beach body. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, I don't know. I think I'm down close to 10 pounds in a couple months, which is, which is pretty cool. So you went down, you lost weight through the Christmas season. That is, you are in a, tiny group of humans, my friend. Yeah. That, I don't know. I, I don't know why I chose that time to do it, but that was wow. good. And I, it, it made me feel better about stuffing my face through the holidays. Mm-hmm. And so holidays for you, you had some family come out, right? I did. Yeah. My wife's from Newfoundland. Uh, so her family, um, or her parents were able to come out. They spent a couple weeks. Uh, we try and do that a couple times a year, whether Crystal and I head over to Newfoundland or them come over here. We usually spend, uh, I don't know, couple weeks at a time together, which is, which was mm. nice. So this time they got to do it over Christmas, which was nice. We've got a little one. She's two years old. So she absolutely loves that. Cause she was only totally. able to see them on. What is it? Ellie? Is that, that her name? Ellie? Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a sweetie. I follow her on Instagram. So I know, I know everything <laughs> about her. <laughs> and I'd say mo- most people that are following me on Instagram just want to see her anyway. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Fair point. So you flip it. So you sell, fi- what'd you say? 51 homes last year? Yeah, you know what? I haven't even 
really, I don't think I've uh, I've counted all of them or looked at the reports or anything like that. But yeah, I think I was fifty one well, or fifty two. Let's, let's call it. Let's for the sake of the conversation, you sold fifty some odd homes. So now you flip, you get to January and you're at zero. Is that for some people that's a defeating feeling, and other people it they go like, oh, it's awesome. I love starting at zero. Here we go. Is that where do you land in that conversation? Does that matter to you? Does it feel exhausting to start over or what? Um, a bit, a bit of both. Like I, I, I'm always excited about it, um, to get going again, starting at zero is motivating. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, if somebody told me I could start at, you know, 20 or 30, that'd be nice too. <laughs> but, um, but starting at zero is kind of the way it has to be, but yeah, no, it's, it's good. And what, what continues to surprise me is every year I go through the same feelings where it's like, man, okay, well, I did had such a good year last year. How am I going to beat that this year? Mm. You know, where is the business going to come from? So your mind kind of goes all over the place and gets a little worried at times because we're humans and that's what we do. But it, it, every year, if I stay consistent, do the same things, make things better, look after my clients, it just it just seems to grow every year. So I, I get less stressed out now. Yeah. Um, but I remember at the beginning, like I was saying before, it was a, it was certainly a scary thought. So then was you as you look back on last year... I mean, you got a lot to look back on, and I mean, what a what a year it was. What are some of your reflections, or takeaways, or lessons? You know, things you want to improve on, things you didn't like, or things that you're proud of. Yeah, get fill, fill me in on some of that. Well, when I kind of going back to to the earlier days in real estate, again, it's not not that long, but we're we're getting into eight years now. So I remember the first few years, you're always you're having to hunt for new business. You know, you're you're constantly having to to pound the pavement, whether you're door knocking or handing out flyers or or whatever that may be. Now it it, it seems to have shifted. So my business is, I would say, ninety five percent referral. So what what I've learned from good people like yourself is take care of the people that take care of you. So um, that's really where where my head goes instantly, and what's been really working for me over the last few years is just focusing on how I can take care of my clients, how I can keep in touch with my clients. You know, there, there sometimes can be a, a, a long period of time between a deal that we've done now and uh, a deal that we're going to do in the future, whether they're going to downsize or upgrade or whatever that may be. So it's just figuring out how I can get in front of them, take care of them, encourage referrals, all that kind of stuff. And um, that, seems, that seems to be the bread and butter. What do you do? What like get what what types of things do you do in order to to do that? Well, this year, um, well, we've we've always done client gifts and, and things like that, but we've we've really focused on uh, personalizing them. So during the process, when I'm working with a client, getting to know them, so it's kind of it works in both ways. It it helps us get to know them, which is good for business in general, and it helps us be able to personalize our service and gifts and things like that around what they actually like versus giving them a generic knife for a basket or something like that. So we really try and learn about their family, what they like, if they've got kids, we want to cater to that. So gifts um, is one thing. We like Mm -hmm. to personalize them. Like, so this is, you're learning something about the the human or the family. That's right. And you're, and you're, you're coming up with something that you know is going to be special to them. And, and it sounds, you're probably not spending 50 bucks. You're probably spending a few hundred dollars or what, what kind of, what does that look like? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it. Uh, I, I wouldn't even say it really ranges too much on on price. We don't. We try not to focus on that a whole lot when we're, when it comes to what we're spending on them. But yeah, I mean, we we just like to have little tidbits, something something that's special. Sometimes it's not even all about how much money you're spending. Hmm. Uh, for example, we just had a had a client that 
um, has been in their house for 30 years. And wow. they just sold their fam- family home to downsize. So we got uh, we got some pictures of their house um, that they've lived in when it was uh, older, or I guess years ago, and then what it looked like now. Got some puzzles made uh, with that photo. Hmm. Uh, That's that cool. Them, and they How did just, you, where'd you get that done? I don't know. We got to ask my wife. That's amazing. So like, <laughs> I, that's really, that's a great idea. I've heard of that before, but I, I've, I've never seen it done. So things like, things like that, just personal touches, something that's going to, you know, maybe be a little bit more memorable um, than, hmm. your, than your typical stuff. But so things like that, we, we, uh, we're tr- really trying to focus on client events. We've, we had a bunch planned over the last two years, but obviously with, mm-hmm. with COVID that's, that's made it difficult. Um, but we like to, you, you know, did one though. I saw you do something. Was it just before yeah, Christmas that you did one? That's right. We what, were, we were was lucky that? enough at the, at the beginning of December, um, to put together a client event. It was outside. It was at a sweet place called loft country. Uh, we had uh, horse carriage rides. We had horse rides. We had it fully catered. It was, it was such a cool event. They had hmm. it all lit up for Christmas. So, and we had over 150 people come. That's amazing. So that was really, really cool. And, you know, it, it sounds cheesy, but when you do something like that oh, yeah. um, and you get to see some clients that you haven't seen in, in years and they show up and they're happy and you get to have those conversations, that, that makes it all worthwhile. Totally. Yeah. You mentioned, so you're doing, you do the, the client parties, you, you're, you're, you know, curating custom gifts. What, what about, what's your communication with your people when they're not buying and selling a home. So like, I mean, you know, obviously you talk to your people when they're in the middle of a transaction, but the people who haven't moved with you in three years outside of a Christmas party, how else are they hearing from you or how are you staying in touch? So we've been, we, we haven't been super consistent, but uh, like to send out uh, newsletters by email just to our existing client list, just a little update about what's going on in our world, what's going on with our family. Cause through the process, of buying and selling with most clients, we end up becoming really close if we weren't already. Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, it's cause you're such a nice guy, Clark. Everybody likes oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. it's true. You're very, you are very, very personal. So I, 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 that makes perfect sense to me that, uh, your clients, you form a relationship like that because that, I think right. that's natural to who you are. That's right. So yeah, we, we just like to give, give people some updates and the response to those and here, before I started doing those, and I think you were the one who encouraged me to do it. Before I started doing those, it was like, okay, well, nobody's going like, going to want to hear from me. Nobody cares about what's going on in my life. Everyone's busy. But the response to every single one of those is so cool. Totally. And even, even social media, I mean, it, it can be frustrating at times or taxing to do all the time, but there's so much power behind it. People knowing who you are, you know, you, you come into a meeting Um, and you haven't seen somebody in years, you forget that they're seeing a lot of your life just through social media. So when you go there, they already know what's going on. They know about Ellie. They're excited about her skating last week, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Right. So. Cause you're giving them like, sorry, I just wanted to specify, cause I I know what you're saying, but I I want this to be clear. You're talking a lot about your personal life and a little bit about real estate. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Yep. You're, and that's, that's the key. People want to know the human. They don't always want to be inundated with, look what I just listed and look what I just sold. That's a, that's a huge piece. 
there has to be an element of that for sure, because, you know, there, there is a professional side of it sure. that, that pe- people need to know and see. And, you know, just because they like it doesn't mean that they, they're convinced that you're a successful agent. So having a bit of both, I, I think, is key. But I, I tend to, to stick more to the personal side and have a little bit of business in there. But the, the personal side, that, that's where it's fun. The business side uh, on social media is, is kind of just doing it because you got to do it. But uh, I love the personal side and sharing that, that yeah. part of our lives, too. Do you have any, do you have a transaction? This might seem like a weird question. I, I've always, for years, I've, I've done this or I've had this thought in my head, but do you have one that sticks out each year, specifically maybe last year, that's like your favorite story or the thing that makes you the most proud of what you're able to do? Oh man, that's a, it's a good question because I actually find that there's lots. Each year there's, there's gotta be, I don't know, at least a handful or maybe even a dozen where I go, man, this is why I do what I do. You know, these are the, the feel good moments, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. When you've helped somebody out that, that maybe didn't think that they even had a chance or they were given information before that made them feel like they, they couldn't get into the market or maybe their house wasn't worth as much as they thought. When you can, when you can turn things around like that for people, that's when it feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, first time home buyers are, are some of my favorites just because it's all brand new to them. Lots of questions, really engaging. Love, love that part of it. And then, you know, people who haven't done it in 30 or 40 years, whether it's buy or sell a home and, you know, the, the market's completely different from when they were dealing with it, but you're able to help them through that process. It's, uh, yeah, those are the feel good moments. So a lot of people would say that first time homeowner, home buyers are the worst or the thing they hate the most, particularly yeah. in this environment we were in and are still yeah. continue to be in. Yeah. What, how did you navigate with specifically with a buyer and specifically, I would even say with a young buyer. Yeah. What did you do? Like, if you've got a, you know, a, a positive feeling around that, is there like an anecdote or, you know, something that you lean on and say, well, we were successful because of this. And like, how did you navigate, you know, that, that low inventory, uh, context? Well, I think first, I mean, in so many different aspects of real estate, I think it comes down to managing expectations. Um, and that sounds like a salesy thing to say, but when we're, when we're in a market, uh, like we are now, I don't think it's ever been more important than managing your client's expectations. Um, they're hearing stories from friends and family or, you know, reading things on the internet, but when, when they come to, when they come to you, they're looking for your expertise, right? Mm. So I'm giving them my experiences in the market, uh, what's going on, what to expect. And a, a lot of the time it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Um, the information that we're giving them, we're ex- we're telling them what to expect, and that we're probably going to have some difficulties and challenges and things like that. So people automatically go, oh, "Okay, yeah, no, I I get that." So I, I think that's probably the most most important thing is just managing their expectations, letting them know what to expect, let them letting them know that I've had experience doing this and success is doing things this way or that way. Um, so I, I'd say that's probably the most important. Uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna pick that apart for a, a second because I I mean. I would say the same. I'd answer that the same way, but I think that there's more meat to that conversation in that. For sure. You know, here's, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a, an interpretation that I've heard around that. When someone hears that, they go, oh, okay. So then you're just telling somebody that they need to expect something crappier because it's a, it's a, it's a really difficult market. And basically you just have to reside yourself to the fact that you're going to get something crappy. Like, right. So what do you say when somebody says pushes back with that? How do you how do you handle that? Because that's how that can feel on the other end of the conversation when 
you know, you came in hoping you'd be able to look at 20 places and now you're only going to be able to look at three. And if you don't buy one now, you know what I mean? So how do you, right. how do you handle that objection when, when somebody interprets it that way? And that's, that's a, well, obviously, as you know, that's something we're coming across on a, on a daily basis, right? Totally. But when it comes to the negativity like that, or uh, well, maybe it's not even negativity, but challenges like that, it's, it's something where I think giving them light at the end of the tunnel, um, I think is, is good. Letting them know about, like I was saying earlier, about experiences where, hey, we, we did this and, you know, we failed at this a couple of times, but this ended up being the end result. You know, I think I think people can can relate to that and and understand that you know we're working with them, we're not working against them, but we're just giving them the truth and maybe what most most people won't give them, which is which isn't always great news. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, if they follow the process and and stick to to what we've been having success with, it always ends up ending well. I haven't I haven't had many clients uh, ever that uh, that at the end of the process weren't happy. Mm. You feel like the sharing, the success stories of other people, like that, that's something that, that makes a significant difference. For sure. I, I think so. Because people, people, a lot of the time when, you know, when they're constantly being fed bad news, that there's, there's no houses out there for them, or they've, they've lost, you know, four or five times in a, in a multiple offer situation. Mm-hmm. There, there's some things that are just out of our control. And mm-hmm. them knowing that we're just doing, you know, we're following the, the right steps and we're doing the right things mm-hmm. that there's only so much we can do. Yeah. Did you have a buyer that lost out on four or five before they got one? Like what's your, what was the most grueling story that you've had? I don't know if it's, if it's just the way that, that I'm doing things on my end with my clients. Obviously I've had, I've had clients uh, miss out on a couple, but I haven't, I've heard horror stories of, you know, people writing 15 offers. Yeah. In a, in a couple of months and, and not being able to get one. Yeah. I think if it's gone that far, and this is my personal opinion. Um, hey, don't be shy. Gone, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to crap over something, go ahead, yeah. just do it, man. I think, I think if, if you've gone that far and something's wrong, you haven't, you, you haven't secured one, you're yeah. doing something wrong. Totally. hundred percent. If you're, you're really just beating your client's head against the wall and doing the same things, obviously. So if, if we're, you know, a couple offers in, and we're, we're consistently getting beat out. We should be able to analyze why we're getting beat out, where we need to adjust things, how we need to be more appealing to sellers, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've, I don't know. I've had pretty good success in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, some of it's out of our control and, and uh, we, we do lose some. Yeah. Did you, are you, have you embraced like, you know, writing the letter, sending the picture of the family, doing anything like that? Like, is there something that you've leaned on in your strategy? Absolutely. And I think yeah. it's a mixture of things like that. That's huge. I mean, you know, a lot of the time it doesn't work. Sometimes the seller is just somebody who, who cares about, uh, who cares about the money as, as most people are, mm-hmm. but there are sellers out there that, uh, that care who's buying their house and, uh, care who's coming into it. So yeah, absolutely. We do. We like to do the letter. We like to do a picture of the family. I'm obviously in touch with listing agents well beforehand you know, just trying to build a rapport with them as well versus just firing off an offer and them not knowing who we are or who's going to be buying the home. So that's definitely one of the strategies. You know, something I heard yesterday, I was in a conversation with Chris Lucas. Yep. I have never heard this. So, you know, this is, uh, this is purely coming from Chris Lucas and, and he's been doing it with the people on his team. They send a video message with an offer. Okay. Yeah. 
and I think he picked it up from like you know he's he's connected to some teams or some people down in the states, and so he picked it up from somebody else. I mean, who knows who came up with the idea? But you know, along the video whatever surge that we've seen in the last few years, which is obviously very effective, there was a story he was recounting to me, and I can't remember if it was his transaction or someone on his team, but somebody sent along one of these videos, and the seller. Flat out said, "We're taking this offer because we feel we have a connection with this individual." And of course, Absolutely. it was the only one in the pile that had a video. And I mean, you can imagine yeah. how powerful that is. I mean, a letter with pictures is one thing, right? A, a yeah. video is even another. Um, you know, whatever. It's even it's even a more significant perspective from the individual. And so, anyways, I had never heard of that. I'm sure that's going to probably gain traction. We're probably going to see more of that. And then all of a sudden, you know, a letter is not going to be enough or whatever. But Right. That, that, you know, all of those things have the ability to, um, to, to give an edge. I know that I, I participated in one transaction this year where I repped the seller and we had a boatload of offers. I can't remember how many. And there was, there was a, there was a bunch of great offers, but the seller ended up picking one where it was less money by a significant amount, but they said they felt such a connection to the family. And of course this family had sent a letter with photos and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. It, it, it can make a significant difference, not in every circumstance, but in some circumstances. That's right. But when, when you're working for the best of your, your clients, you're going you're gonna to take that chance and do it anyways, right? Who knows? All, the worst they can do is, uh, is ignore it. But you're right. There, there are sellers out there that, uh, that find value in that or like to go that route. And I think that video idea that Chris was saying, I think that's amazing. Um, you know, that, back to the day, even think about five, six years ago when we were in multiple offers and we were actually, actually allowed to go present our offers for our buyers in person. Exactly. And I loved, I loved doing that. So I came from a corporate sales world. So I was constantly face to face negotiating with people. Yeah. So when it came down to that and you get to meet the sellers, uh, you get to talk about your clients, who they are, uh, why your offer looks the way it is, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's so valuable. So having, I think, the, the ability to put your face in front of them still, even though you're just emailing them an offer. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no doubt if we see that more this year, just based on, well, especially, especially with you releasing it to the millions listening, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The entire <laughs> real estate world now knows. Taken no. by storm video yeah. offers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Kate, okay, you, you had said, you talked about expectations. So that's a significant topic and and what i wanted to um ask you specifically is when you have a first meeting uh and we can handle we can talk about buyers and sellers maybe separately but like now that we're on buyers maybe we'll stay with buyers so you know and i know that you know in your scenario it's a lot of repeat business but envision for a second you know you've got a meeting and this isn't a direct close contact so it's either an outs it's a referral where you've never met these people or or maybe right. a, you know somebody with a little bit less connection right a little bit right. less trust what are you doing what's your goal in that first hour convo whatever it is that setup meeting what are you trying to draw out so that you know you're going to not run into the oh crap we just wrote 16 offers and lost on every one of them what are the main things for you and how are you drawing them out in conversation? Well, I think, I think first and foremost for me, uh, when I go into a meeting and, and even if it's somebody that I know, um, or have been referred to it, I still try and follow the same guidelines, but listening and getting to know them, not just what their real estate goals are, right? They could, they could punch that into a, a search engine and 
look themselves or, or whatever it is, but it's, it's my, my goal is to, is to learn about them, what their goals are, even learn about their family, what they like to do, all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I think that all plays into it, regardless if it's directly real estate related. Hmm. So I, I like to, to make sure I'm listening. You know, obviously uh, we want to make sure that they understand our value and what we're going to do for them. But I think, I think the, the best first step for, for myself, at least, is, is just to listen and get, get to know them. And then we can get into, you know, the real estate. Like, you know, if we were to put a percentage on it, I don't know, I'd probably say we're talking 75% personal, 25% business. Um, I want them to know me and I want to know them. So you're highly, highly, highly relational. Yes. But what about the specifics of financing, down payment money? Right. Absolutely. Affordability, like whether or not mom and dad are involved, whether or not they're like, how are you tackling some of those specific things because they're important and you need, you obviously right. need to know them. So I, I think, I think, I think you're so relational and you're so good with people that a lot of this stuff is being drawn out just, you know, because you, you poop gold, but what, what are you, if you can think for a second, like a commoner, <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? What are you saying to draw that out? Because if you're not running around, uh, wasting a bunch of time and you're always getting these, you're always getting everything done efficiently, then you're, you're clearly doing something in these early conversations that's making a difference. Right. So and it kind of, it's, it's easiest to explain when we kind of go back to when I first started, when I first got into real estate, I was, there was lots of situations where I was spinning my tires when I should not have been, mm -hmm. uh, because I did not qualify the, the buyer or seller properly. Right. So asking the right questions is, is absolutely key. And, and I think the reason why I did less of that when I'd first started was just kind of being scared to ask the tough questions, ask about their financing, who they're talking to push, push those subjects. But Nowadays, I find myself spending a lot less time, a lot less wasting time, uh, just because I'm able to to qualify the the buyers or, or sellers correctly. And I've also now surrounded myself with a with a good team, uh, with a mortgage broker and, and notary. Where if they don't have somebody, I can just throw them into our system, which I like to view as a conveyor belt. Throw them on the conveyor belt. They're going to go through my mortgage broker. They're going to talk to my lawyer, and they're just going to go through the process. So that helps. That helps um, time wasting for sure. For should David Rochelle or Natalie happen to listen to this, I mean, what you're really trying to say is you refer them multiple people, but they tend to choose the people on your conveyor That's belt. That's right. Correct? Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I give them three minimum of each. Settle down, everybody. Settle down. It's just that Clark's people are the best, and they always get chosen. That's right. And if you need to know who the best is, just call me and I'll set you up. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> with three. Yeah, with three. That's right. Yeah. Flipping to a seller conversation. And I know that, you know, this has not been sellers. The perspective of working with sellers in, in this environment is that it's easy because, you know, everything sells. But even in, like, I mean, my own opinion is that I watch, I watch people do things the right way and the wrong way. And what I would say about this environment is that this environment just covers up a lot of mistakes that people are still making, whether it be through just lack of knowledge or, 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 or laziness. But so sure. what are you doing? What, how do you start with a seller? You know, someone calls you up and, and says, Hey, we need to, we need to move. And, and let's just pretend for a moment that, you know, that whatever it is they want to sell, it's, it, it's a hot commodity, you know, it's in high demand. When you get around the expectations of value or talking about the value of the property, 
number one, I guess a couple questions. How are you interpreting the sales data to come up with what you think would be a value? And then when you are talking about the value of the property in this environment, I mean, are you talking range of value? How tightly are you holding onto a number? Are you are you saying, hey, we're absolutely getting this or more? How are you handling that? Because that is, you know, we've been wrong a lot in the last 18 oh, months sure. about what something's going to sell for. So what, what's your language like in that conversation? Well, first off, there's never been more a market where I've felt less knowledgeable just because of what we expect has, totally. has well said. Blown, up, blown out of the water. So first of all, pretending to know what it's going to sell for um, or what, what their home's going to sell for is, I don't know, I think it's a bad idea first off. Um, but usually we're getting calls from sellers that, you know, they heard somebody up the road, this is what they sold for, and it was X amount over list price, and they had, you know, 20 offers on it. So those are usually the, the starting conversations from sellers. Then we got to get into, I, I try and take out the, right off the bat, the opinions or bias information when it comes to, to pricing and things like that. I like to break it down just into data for most people right off the bat so they know, okay, these are your recent sales. This is what they've sold for. This is the way the market's trending. You know, right now we're, we're in a market where it seems to be, it doesn't matter if there's three houses lined up in a row, all the exact same, you know, one week after the next, they're, the next house is going to sell for more than the one previously, right? That's what it's been, uh, 100%. Yeah. So yeah. Com conversations like that, I, I just try and make it more more data-based than anything uh, because people, you know, sellers especially, they tend to get pretty fired up with uh, with hearing all the, all the crazy stories out there. Mm -hmm. So what's your feeling then on, I, I get that this is probably a bit of a tough question, but I think it's worth kicking around. So, you know, there's a lot of, whatever, people have a lot of opinions on, you know, the concept of underpricing a house to get multiple offers, you know, and you've heard yeah. people lose their crap over that and whatever, it gets into the number of showings and showing windows and accessibility. But if we just said for a second, like, let's say, you know, you work out in Aldergrove. So, or, I mean, I know you work everywhere, but Aldergrove, you know, it's your backyard. So let's say you've yeah. got a super saleable home in a great neighborhood in Aldergrove and you know, it, it the, the last comps listed for, let's say, 1.4, and one of them went for 1.5, and the other one went for 1.55. Yeah. And, you know, these are whatever. Your typical, let's say, 15-year-old home suite or you no know, suite or whatever. How are you, when you see that, like, okay, something went for 1.5, something went for 1.55, not that long ago, these were, maybe you were talking like 1.25, 1.3. <laughs> yeah. Are you then like, what's your, I don't know. What do you, when you look at that, are you thinking like, well, we listed at one five, five, or are you still going like, oh, you know what? I think the right way to go is to go one four, because then you're going to get a bazillion offers and you're going to leverage that situation. How do you feel about that conversation? I will. I, I like to look at it and it, it's, it's different in, in every area, but if we're, if we're talking about Alder Grove specifically, when you're looking at that and like, Using the example that you just brought up, let's say, you know, the ones previously were listed for one four, sold for one five, and then one four five sold for one five five. Follow the follow the working strategy, right? That it's clearly working now. Hmm. Where 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 I've seen people go wrong, and this is again just my opinion, but but going off those recent sales and then listing that house at one five or one five five, we don't we're not seeing great results in, in doing that, right? Obviously people just see it's it's greed and they 
the, I think people are buyers are also thinking that okay, well now he's listed at one five five. He's probably hoping for one seven, so we're not even going to bother writing on it. So I think follow, following suit for what's working. So use the model that people are. That's what I was trying to get at because you'll hear like people got strong opinions on this, and 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 so you're saying, hey, if we see if ninety percent of the time the buyers are used to this, right? Multiple offers, hundred grand over or whatever. Then don't try to go against the model. Work with the model that, that people are, rather than someone might say, well, the home's probably worth 155, 1575, just list it for 155 or 1575 and, and, and do it that way. Right, exactly. And here's, here's a good example. Uh, some people know, know on, the, on here that are listening know where I live, but a house across the street from me wasn't listed by me, so I'm upset about that. But <laughs> anyways, they're probably so the, it's probably the one person who doesn't like you in the whole world, yeah, know, and, they, I, and they but they live across <laughs> you from you, so maybe they know something. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, so they got uh, they listed their house at at 1.5. Yeah, they they had it on the market. They did the the week on the market showings, offer presentation on a certain date. They didn't end up selling that home. They reduced the price to one four three nine and sold it for one five four. Like that's so, just isn't that just insane? Insane though. So like that, it's so that stupid. just speaks to the the psychology behind it, right? Yeah. So you have. I think you have to keep going with that model because buyers are expecting that model, right? So, you know, I know I know people don't want, uh, or there's a lot of like you were saying controversy around underlisting properties, and I, I think I do think there is a balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is a, there is a line somewhere, but I think it, if it's a model that's working and you're just looking to, to do the best for your sellers, totally. you got to stick, stick with what's working. And that's your job. Get your sellers the most. And so whatever that's model right. you got to use to get your sellers the most, you're, you're doing, you're not doing your job if you're not incorporating that model. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do remember a time where it was, it was much more important to, to be super accurate on your list price. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, you, you still have to be accurate. Don't get me wrong, but um, there's much more leeway uh, right now when it comes to that. That's for sure. Well, and we've been in. What year did you start? You start 2000. What 11, 12, uh, 14, 14. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you don't. I don't. I don't want to uh, sound like a grandfather here, but that, like, you know, you, <laughs> you, uh, even from 2014 forward. You, we the last time we had a really tough market was actually probably about 2012 or 13, and then 2009, 10 was terrible, and there was a and the numbers were different. But if you looked at the ratios and the percentages, it was not uncommon for a person to list a home, and then what that home eventually sells for could easily be 10, 12, 13% less than the original list price. Easily. Right. Like that was totally common for someone to yeah. list a home for 550 grand. And when that thing eventually sells, it only sells for 465 or 470. Yep. And, it, and I mean, the numbers sound different. You go, well, it's only, you know, 80 grand off or 70 grand off. Well, if you extrapolate that and take that same percentage to a $1.7 million home, that's a huge miss, right? 12, sure. 12% on 1.7 million is a massive miss. And that's, we're just talking about the conversation going the other way right now, but in extreme markets, it is very difficult to predict sale prices for different reasons, but they're related, obviously. For sure. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen a, a downturn market like that. When, when I first got into real estate, it was in 2014, there was still, you know, the conversations where, you know, with, with, with sellers, and this is where it's changed so much, is hey, we're going to have your house on the 
on the market for probably three months. You know, we're going to be, you know, doing, you know, maybe a handful of showings every week. And yeah, we're just going to totally. hope, hope for an offer and expect to negotiate down. So we're going to start up here. We're going to leave it there, expect to negotiate down. And obviously most sellers, if they're smart, will have a number in mind where they're, where they're going to say, okay, yes, yes, that's good. We're going to accept the offer. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but that's long gone. Yep. At least, at least, at least for the time being. Yeah, and it, like totally, and I mean, I guess it, we don't need to to linger on markets that aren't relevant. But I, I remember, as part of my listing presentation conversation back in those those years, in when you talk through like expectations and volume of showings and you know marketing activities, the range of show number of showings. Like I would tell my clients, like hey, you know, we absolutely want to be seeing a minimum of ten showings a month. That was right. that like just think about that conversation <laughs> 10 showings a month. And so I what would happen is that now. and if we got and, and all of this was based on some metrics and keep in mind we were in an environment where you know that there's sales to active listing ratio is under 10%. There was times when it was under 5% and you know there was there was 12,000 or 11,000 homes for sale in the, on the in the valley opposed to 15 or whatever it is 1500 or 2000 today. But yep. all that to say that was you know that was an important metric because you know, people didn't make decisions in a day like they do right now, right? Like today you look at a home and like you make a decision within 12 hours, whether or not you're buying that home for the most part, that decision process, it wasn't uncommon for that decision process to take for sure weeks and sometimes even over a month, right? Like someone would come and look at a home and then they might not decide to buy that home until they look at it again, three weeks later. And so- That's why, you know, gauging the number of showings, uh, you know, it, it was in a different environment where, you know, today a showing means like a person's making a decision now, but back then you just had to get the showings because the showings was the interest. And if you weren't getting enough, then you didn't have enough interest, but a showing on a Tuesday of the second week of a month could turn into a sale the following month on the Friday kind of thing. It's a completely different conversation and situation. And so I remember getting to a 30 day window with listings and saying, listen, do we have a minimum of 10 showings? Yes or no? Okay, we do. What did we have? We had 15. Great. So we had these 15 showings. We're in conversation with all of these people. It could be that of those 15 showings, five of them were still live buyers who potentially wanted to buy that home. Right. But they either A, hadn't made a decision yet. Maybe they were working on selling their home and they needed to sell that home first. And so you know, that's just, whatever that, I'm, I'm rambling here, but that's how that sales process went back then. And it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to even imagine that situation now, but, but that's what it was. It's kind of funny. And I, I, I often bring up stories like that when I'm talking to, to sellers now, because there are some sellers out there that, that feel that it's inconvenient to show their house for a week with, you know, <laughs> t- you know, 20 showings a day or whatever, you know, 10 to 20 showings a day or whatever that may be. Right. Yeah. So most of the conversations when we're starting now is, Hey, listen, you, you could have had, you know, to clean up your house once a day for a showing, uh, for three months or two months or whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, give me your house for a week. I don't, you know, go stay somewhere else or do, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, regardless, we just need this house perfect for a week and then we're good to go. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a different, different conversation now. Yeah. Do you, so yeah, when you, so two, you started in 2014, I mean, yeah, you carried listings yeah. for a few months. Like that was still normal at that time. Yeah. The market didn't really blow up till 2016 or thereabouts. That's right. So do you, do you have a preference 
of market environments? Do you miss anything about that other environment? Um, I mean, I would say when I started then, this environment would be extremely difficult or that environment would be extremely difficult um, because I was working with, with mainly buyers, yeah. right? So if, if I was in this market just starting out, That'd it be, would it, be extremely difficult. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate enough now to, you know, I'm probably actually this year, I think I was 65% listings. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a nice change. So I, I kind of like this market if we're selling a lot. <laughs> but obviously on the buying side, it, it, it definitely is much more difficult. So I would like to see if I could choose a perfect market, just have something a little bit more, a little bit more balanced. Like when you started actually, 2014, 15 was fairly, yeah. those are fairly balanced times. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, uh, I think, I think every, it just keeps everyone fairly, fairly level on the same playing field. But right now I, I do, do feel bad for buyers, but uh, if there's buyers listening. There's ways there's ways to get around it and ways to be, you know, to have some success out there for sure. Did you get on the pre-sale train at all with any buyers? Like, I know there's, there's some agents where it's like, you know, they promote themselves as pre-sale agents. Have you done any of that? Any experience with that in the last year or two? Um, I've, I've actually done a, a fair amount of pre-sales, not, uh, not kind of promoting myself as a pre-sales agent, but absolutely. I think there's situations where, where that can be super beneficial for, for buyers out there, uh, whether it be needing more time to come up with a down payment and you're not having to, to give the developer, you know, your whole, whole deposit or, or down payment at once. Mm. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it can be good, good for some buyers for sure. Got any hot listings coming up? Oh, I do. I do. What do you, have? Uh, you can, you can say this is, we're going to launch, we're going to launch this actually, uh, like we're talking here, but your, your episode is going to hit just in a few days. So whatever you say right now could be very relevant. You have the microphone, you can talk about anything you want. Right on, right on. So I've, I've got, uh, got one coming up in the Clayton area. It's a, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful home. It's about 4,000 square feet, 7,000 square foot lot, corner lot. It's going to be listed. We're obviously, it's uh, it's a moving target when it comes to list price because it seems to be changing weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably going to be listed around the two million dollar mark. Mm-hmm. Um, great friends of mine, so I'm I'm excited to to get that one going for them. So, but uh, if if any of you guys follow me, uh, you'll you'll see that I I'll do a sneak peek on it, a heads up that it's coming on the market, create a bit of a buzz around it. And Is that got a basement done. suite? Yep. Oh yeah. So that's just a. So that's what that, that, those are 2 million now out in Clayton. Like that, that's probably, what is that, a 10 year old home or something? Yep, exactly. Wow. 2 million bucks. It's, what it's a, a world. I know. I know. I remember, I remember, uh, when million dollar listing was a, was a thing and something to achieve. Even when I first started, uh, my first million dollar sale didn't come for, I think three or four years. So until 2017 or 18. Yeah. And that was a big thing just to break the million dollar mark. I started in 2003 and I, I have to verify this, but I feel like my first million dollar deal did not happen. It was 2010 or 2011. And that was just yep. because there wasn't, um, and actually, as it turns out, that property I'm thinking of that it sold for, I sold it as a buyer, I repped the, them for 1.1. It was buyers of mine. I, I think, yeah, I, if it's that house, if that's my first, so I actually just resold that property for almost 3.2. Uh, yes. so it's, uh, it's the numbers are mind boggling. Well, we didn't, uh, yeah, like to sit, you're right. Like years ago to sell a million dollar property, like a million dollars was a big deal. Now what is a million, million dollars? You can't even get a pushover 
Like, I mean, I know in Langley, Surrey, you just can't get anything. But even in Abbotsford, no. I was looking at some Abbotsford sales from the last, I think I went back six months in East Abbey. And in the last six months, you know, there's been hundreds of transactions. There was only two transactions under a million dollars. And they yeah. were just under a million dollars, like barely. And they were, and they were like, you know, there's a reason why they were less than a million. They were not worth a whole lot and the lots weren't that great either. But um, yeah, it's a different, it's a different world. It's, it's wild. I know so now you see a lot of people uh, on social media or wherever kind of talking about the recap of 2021 and what the, what the prices did and how much, how much of an increase there was in, in detached homes and condos and townhomes. And it's just, it's mind boggling. And a lot of that increase was in the last six months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So people are saying my house went up 35%. And the, the crazy thing about that 35% is it, it happened in like the, the second half of 2021. Yeah. And if you go back to the, you know, we had a big burst in the second half of 21, but then you everyone forgets the massive burst that we actually had in the second half of 20. Like when we yeah. came out of the lockdown in 20, the market started to boom then already and we boomed hard from the second half of 20 all the way through the first part of 21 and then there was a bit of a i feel like there was a bit of a lull uh in the middle of 21 and then we boomed you know and then we boomed again but yeah you hear different different perspectives on on some of the numbers and i always feel like some of the data data and stats like when you talk about whether it's vancouver board or fraser valley board they're very broad and so i feel like because they're broad and generic it doesn't always tell the true story because like there are neighborhoods with you know some of these hot neighborhoods like clayton as an example home with a basement suite you know like this home in clayton that you're going to sell i I don't know i'm not a clayton expert but i would bet that pre-pandemic that house was probably worth 1.3 maybe 1.2 yep that's right and we were it's it's funny you say that because we were actually even talking about selling then so yeah it, uh, so so we're talking kind of we're talking about a 75 80 percent gain yep that and, and you're not seeing those numbers in the data everyone's talking oh we've gone up 30 percent 50 percent there are absolutely lots of examples of neighborhoods that have gone up almost 100 percent in 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 you know uh 18 month the 20 month period. Yeah. It's wild. Crazy times. Hey buddy, I, uh, I am sincerely appreciative of your time. I admire everything you do. You're, uh, you're, a uh, you're, you're an awesome guy to follow. And, uh, yeah, just the way you conduct yourself is amazing. And I'm, I'm thankful that you would take some time to, uh, to share your brain with us. I so, appreciate uh, that. So yeah, thanks. no, my, my pleasure. Say hi to your, uh, beautiful family for me and, uh, we'll, we'll see you again real soon. Sounds good, buddy. Okay, take care. Thanks a lot. Yep, bye-bye. Bye.